I'm excited to welcome a new sponsor in 2019 to the podcast, pageantswag.com. You see, I've been around the pageant world for some time now, and I have had numerous title holders and guests tell me that there were zero sites for casual fashion dedicated to you, the pageant lovers. So Pageant Swag decided to solve this problem. They've created this great e-commerce store full of everything from fun graphic t-shirts and crop tops to sweatshirts and hoodies, and they've even got a really cool lineup of both yoga and capri leggings, and it's all focused on you, the pageant lover. Check it out today and use the promo code LIFEAFTERTHECROWN for 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's pageantswag.com. One more time, pageantswag.com. Hey, everybody. It's Miss United States 2017, Rachel Todd, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today was Miss Florida 2009 and Miss United States 2017. She has made a full-time career in the health and wellness industry. She is a licensed health coach, certified in positive psychology, a licensed yoga instructor, and is the owner of RKT Consulting, which focuses on helping women shed the false beliefs, rewire the negative thought patterns, and step into their purpose, passion, and power to live the life of their dreams. So happy to welcome Rachel Todd, a hugely motivational woman to the podcast. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ken. Yeah, so I'm doing my research. I don't know you in any way, and I just see that you are such an incredibly motivational woman, just learning about how you're a go-getter, a leader. Um, Where does all that positive energy come from for you? Well, two places. I was really raised in an incredible environment with a grandmother who really just, I'm now realizing, so she's passed away, but realizing that she led with love and everything she did. When my mother was growing up, they were always taking in people, you know, from the streets or when they found out somebody in the church needed a place to live or a foster child or anything, Um, missionaries from other countries, they were just, it was like no questions asked. People were allowed to stay. And she just had that kind of an attitude. She also was always into um, health and wellness and so that trickled down into my upbringing, and we volunteered from the time that I can remember um, in shelters, and we would go serve on Thanksgiving and Christmas. We went and rebuilt. Oh goodness, the name escapes me, but I can. Bogalusa, Louisiana, was was hit very hard after Hurricane Katrina. So in two thousand, what was that? Six, five. We went there for Christmas, and we lived for two weeks in like hazmat housing and help people rebuild their homes. So I was just raised that way. And I have to, you know, attribute that to my parents. But also a really trying time happened right as I was graduating college. My father went through, I mean, what I'm now calling, I guess, a true midlife crisis, but he made some bad decisions and left my family. And while we've worked on our relationship and the forgiveness is there, that became a huge catalyst for change in my life because I now see it as the point where I realized, truly realized that if I didn't create my own life, if I didn't take it into my own hands, and if I didn't go out into the world and do what I was meant to do, nobody was going to do it for me. And when we say that out loud, it sounds like, well, yeah, that's like obvious, but it's not until you have something really hit you in life, like smack in the face that you step into that, that you get this internal resiliency, this drive to step into what you're meant to do. Look, you certainly have the drive. I mean, I, I just went through your Instagram this morning, just reading post after post after post and feeling like I could run through a wall after doing so, by the way. Oh. And <laughs> I was reading one post uh, that you put up recently in which you know, it, it kind of covers what you were just talking about. Um, you said in August of 2018, which is what, eight, nine months ago, 
you decided to change the story that you've been telling yourself, to utilize what was in front of you to design your future. What was the story that you were telling yourself that really, I guess, j- didn't jive with maybe the story that you wanted to be telling yourself? Mm, this is actually a recent one for me. And obviously, yeah, August of 2018, it's not even a year ago. But I want to say this to those that are listening, especially, and I know your audience is probably vast, but I know that there are a lot of perfectionists out there. And in positive psychology, we like to say you're a recovering perfectionist because there is no perfect. And when we display our imperfect in our imperfections, that's truly, I mean, that's what life's about. So for me recently, in the last 10 months, I realized that having won Miss Florida at the young age of 21, then spending age 22 through 30, using all of my scholarship money, studying, traveling, hosting, modeling, doing all of those things, right? And the key word there is doing. I was just doing and doing. And the best analogy I can think of is that I felt like I needed to hold up a PowerPoint presentation when people asked me what I was up to or what was going on in my life. And that if I didn't have like a 70 slide PowerPoint presentation, (laughs) that reached this ultimate pinnacle of life, then I was somehow failing them and myself. And it wasn't until last August that I realized coming off of being Miss United States, wow, that's wonderful. And like accomplishing something that you've been dreaming of doing for eight years, clearly. I mean, I didn't win Miss America and I thought, okay, well, at some point, I'd really like to hold a national title. I don't know when that's going to happen. So I did it. And I thought to myself prior, like, oh, this is it. This is that answer I've been looking for. Like, this is that PowerPoint presentation. I'm finally going to have that to give to people. And I finished being Miss United States, and I was like, okay, that wasn't it either. Like, Rachel, you have got to stop feeling like you have to show somebody this, like, fireworks presentation when they ask you what's going on in your life and literally just be yourself literally just inspire others. Like you don't need a crown. You don't need a title. You need any of those things. Those are microphones. Those are amplifiers. Those are things that help you gain a skill set. But really like the person wearing the crown, the person who you become through pageantry, that's who you were always meant to be. And that's who you've always been. Um, it wasn't those titles that somehow like put some sort of magic fairy dust on me. Well, I love the analogy of the PowerPoint presentation because I, I, I didn't look at it that way. But I mean, if you really think about it, you, me, everybody that's listening to this podcast, it's the modern day world that we live in of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever you want to call it, is that everybody posts their quote highlight reel. And if you don't have something great happening you can't post or you post something from another time in your life in which you were and say, oh, looking back to so-and-so when I was doing great, but today I feel like crap and I don't want anybody to know about it. Do you think social media kind of developed that feeling in you of, of having to have the, you know, quote, PowerPoint presentation or did it come from somewhere else? I have to say that it probably stemmed from just having a mom who was I mean, my mom runs, started a 501c3 for homeless families and basically created like this incredible organization in Central Florida that helps thousands of families facing homelessness. So if that gives you any perspective on like what I was raised with, um, she didn't do it on purpose, but it was definitely like responsibility and ownership of your life and uh, performing was something that was valued growing up. And I know she probably would listen to this and apologize to me right now because she feels <laughs> bad that she created this like perfectionist monster, but I'm working on it. And it's, it's been wonderful in so many ways. Social media has definitely added to that. However, I was Miss Florida before social media. We didn't have Instagram back then. I mean, it existed, but it was not what it is today. So it definitely just created, like, I remember, it, it wasn't even that that I needed to show it on social media. I remember after being Miss Florida, I took like a month off and I moved back in with my mom and my dad was obviously gone at that time. And I would go to the grocery store with her because I felt so like strange that my life had slowed down so much and I was just feeling a little bit confused about what to do next. So I just hung with her. I literally was attached to her hip for a month and we would go to the grocery store in my hometown and I was scared to see her friends because they were from church or whatever. And they were all so proud of me for having been Miss Florida. And they would ask, what, what are you up to now? As I'm standing there next to the yogurt aisle. And I'm like, 
Uh, like it was just this painful moment where I wanted to pull up a PowerPoint presentation and say like, oh, well, I'm going to do this and that and like do some sort of tap dance in the grocery store. And I didn't need to do that. They weren't looking for that. That was me putting that pressure on. Well, it's, I love that you talk about that because I literally I created a video on that very question last year. It's the, you know, if you go to a cocktail party and you get one of two questions. So what do you do? Or so what are you doing now? And it mm. uh, for a lot of mm-hmm. people, it draws up every insecurity in their inner being to go, you know, uh, doing great. Everything's going well, and, you know, but they don't want to say what, you know, today I had a terrible sales meeting or I lost a client today or I just had a terrible day. And it really mm-hmm. it, it draws up insecurities. Now, pertaining to all this, you have a free audio training on your website called How to Stop Losing Your Shit. I love it. <laughs> can you tell us about it? Yes. In post-pageant life, you can curse a little bit. Um, <laughs> I discovered, like, obviously I'm, I'm certified in yoga, and it was through my yoga teacher training that I discovered mindfulness. And I wish so badly that I had understood or knew that there was resources out there in the way of mindfulness years ago when I was going to Miss America. Because... I think that preparation and that practice of being able to find center, being able to self-soothe, being able to turn on a guided meditation in your car and pull over to the side of the road when you're having some sort of breakdown or um, being able to step out of a party and go to the bathroom stall and do so if you need that. Those types of practices and mindfulness and being able to like find the calm center of the storm amid the chaos of life is such a powerful position to be in. And I think that that's where we find that magnetism with those who are succeeding, whether it's at pageantry, business, life, motherhood, whatever, that magnetism of somebody when they walk in the room, that undeniable spark thing that as a judge of a pageant, you can't put into words. I think it has something to do with that individual being able to access that place because she creates this calm when you're around them because they're grounded and centered because they have this internal calmness where even when like the room is spinning or there's a chaotic cocktail party or, you know, whatever the case may be, they're able to take in all of that stimulus without it becoming part of the stimulus. They're able to bring that, that calm, uh, just that, 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 see, I can't even put it into words. But when you're practicing <laughs> mindfulness and, and meditation, and I did as I prepared for Miss United States, you have the power. Like you put the, like you have the words that you want to speak, but like you can time the way you want them to come out. And you can take a pregnant pause and not freak out inside. And you're the one controlling the conversation with the judges. You're the one that's in charge on stage. You're the one that's in charge at registration. Whatever the case may be while you're competing or while you're holding the title, if you can access that center point, it's a game changer. You were speaking about kind of preparing for Miss United States and the mindfulness that goes along with that. Um, And, you know, for anybody listening, I I don't care if we're talking about Miss United States, Miss America, uh, Miss USA, Miss Universe, whatever. As a national title holder, I I kind of feel like there's been a movement in the whole entire pageantry industry uh, in the last few years for a woman to be more real. You know, the old days of let's just take Miss America from like the 80s and 90s. It was this perfectly poised, perfectly walked, articulate as can be. Every word was perfect. The shoulders were perfectly square in every interview. And it was just like it's almost unattainable to equal what they expect of you. And now it has gone to, you know what? It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to have a checkered past in which you've been given forgiveness for. It's okay to not be on, in quotes, all the time. Do you feel like that's kind of how it was for you uh, in this past two years as a national title holder? I have the biggest grin across my face right now. I, <laughs> I think we can, I think we can even zoom that out to a movement that's happening in the world. But yes, in pageantry for sure. And it's, I like to say it's like the next enlightenment. And I don't know if we'll see the end of this era in our lifetime, but I know there's a shift happening. I know that people are wanting to find a way to connect through vulnerability, authenticity, and imperfections 
versus putting up some sort of plastic wrap around your life. And like, what are we supposed to do? Just bump into each other with plastic wrap and then say like, hi, how are you doing? Good to talk to you. See you later. Oh, nice to see you. Like the, the common pleasantries, like, oh, like, no, nobody wants that anymore. People want to know, like, we want to know what you're struggling with. We want to connect. And when you pull back the layers on all that stuff that keeps you hidden and feeling like you can't be yourself that's when we truly connect with people and that's what like those holding that position is truly about that's being able to look into their eyes and and have some sort of connection that's that like goosebumps on your arms and like a little bit of um, water welling up in your eyes when you connect with somebody like that is something intangible that's what we live for that's that awe and wonder factor about life like why wouldn't you want more of that well I'm going to ask you a deep question this one might be very difficult to answer but I think it's it's a good one that with you I can kind of unpack if we will having a, let's say a checkered past. Now you don't have a checkered past, but you know, let's take some people in the past 15 years that have, uh, do you remember Tara Connor from I think 2006 or seven uh, when she had the issue and, and Trump forgave her and all that. And then just a few yeah. years ago, Miss Teen USA, Carly Hay, um, apparently when they scrolled back through Twitter, found uh, the N word on her Twitter from right. like two, two years before that. And then as a society and culture, the uh, recent Supreme Court nomination of Kavanaugh and just how much they dug into his past and dug up every possible thing from 25 years ago. How as a right. group of women in pageantry, do you take on this societal want and need to find something bad about somebody and exploit it to the world and absolutely try to trash them? I always just say that when you lead with the truth, then nobody else can find, like nobody else can go dig in your closet if you're willing to open the door yourself. And when you open the door yourself, you then are positioning yourself in a place of power and empowerment to be able to say, this is what happened. This is how I've dealt with it. This is how I used to feel. This is where I was in life. And I want others to learn from this. And I think that that creates such an incredible opportunity for young people, whether they become a pageant title holder or not, to look at that story and be able to make better decisions for their life if they find themselves in that situation, whether it's a pregnancy that happened or whether it's um, like a divorce and you have, uh, you know, they made some choices and got married really young or whether it was making a YouTube video that was inappropriate, whatever the case may be, like I, I always bring it back to this Eminem scene from the movie Eight Mile where he's in a rap battle. And I don't know if you've seen this movie, but yeah. he has, he, he basically gets the mic first and he decides that his whole entire piece that he's going to introduce about is his entire life. And he's like, look, this is the truth. This is where I come from. This is where I live. This is my upbringing. I live in a trailer. Like I have had everything possible that could go wrong in life happen. And yet here I am still standing like that movie and that song, like that's why it is so powerful and motivating because of what he's talking about where the other person who gets the mic next has nothing to say because there's nothing else for him to pull out of that closet. There's nothing else for him to make fun of him for. So I am, I just always encourage people to, when they're ready and, and hopefully other people doing this, like letting those things out and about their story inspires others to do that. Because I, I'm always reminded of the Marianne Williamson quote, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And to me, that's how the movement happens. Because as people are liberated from their own fear, that people are liberated from the fear of what other people will think of them for their past or things that they've done, then they're giving other people permission to say, you know what, it's safe for me to talk about this. There's really absolutely no reason to be ashamed of it. The only reason you're ashamed of it is because you're allowing it to put, like you're putting that shame on yourself. Nobody else is. Um, and I think that as this generation gets older and starts taking it on positions of power and in government, that the whole like everybody's uber sensitive and, and very quick to be offended, I think that's going to decrease. I think that's going to start to disappear. I guess to give it a sports analogy. That was a really long answer. No, that question. it was exactly what I wanted to hear. And I thought you did a really good job of it, by the way, because I think you, you packed it into this. In order to play defense, you have to have a really good offense, meaning uh, instead of trying to conceal what I've done wrong or things that weren't in, you know, the best in my past, just come out and say it and take away the power of them being able to say, you know what you did 20 years ago and be like, yeah, I already admitted that. It's over. So what? Big deal. I, I said it. Right. My mom and I were talking when Kavanaugh's child were going on and I thought, 
you know what, like the way that this is all going down is, is painting him to be like this defensive. He's getting really uncomfortable in court. No wonder everybody's judging his, his nonverbal cues. Right. But if, if this man were to come forward holding his wife's hand or whatever the case may be and say, this is what you guys are probably going to find. This is my past. This is what happened. This is how I've dealt with it. This is how I've grown as a human being. Do I agree with those actions that happened back then? No, but I was 20 years old and I made really stupid decisions. I'm sure that we've all made really stupid decisions in our lives. Moving forward as a Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America, this is what I promise to uphold. And I think that that would have created such a different reaction from so many citizens of people saying, wow, I really like this guy. Well, this is very good stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that. I thought that was uh, really well put. So thank you. Um, pertaining to Miss America, Miss United States, I just want to talk a little bit about your pageant pass so we can kind of uh, just kind of understand it. Uh, Miss America, Florida, 2009. And then you mm-hmm. wait uh, eight years before you go do Miss United States. I know you had kind of mentioned a little bit of, about the gap in that journey earlier. Um, but in 2017, what was your goal? of competing in Miss United States. What did you think this was going to do? Was it just going to be the highlight in the PowerPoint presentation or was there a deeper uh, yearning for it? Mm. Well, see, I fell into pageantry in 2009. So when I won Miss Florida, I, I didn't even know, honestly, that Miss Florida led to Miss America. And I know girls that compete for years and years must be like wanting to kick me in the face right now. But I literally, I just competed to win scholarship money because my dad had left and I knew that I needed, I needed help. And I also was helping my mom to run her foundation for homeless families. That was the Great Recession. Things aligned in such a way that I, I truly cannot explain, except for that it was a miracle and something that was meant to happen in my life. Um, because at that time, back home and on the inside, my, my world was falling apart. And the woman that's speaking to everybody right now about being very vulnerable and sharing their story was not ready to do that at that time. And so I was in this place of wanting to hide all the things that were wrong with my life, yet go out into the world and change the world. And if I focused on the homeless population and people that were suffering because of the recession, then I didn't have to think about what was happening in my own life, or even the fact that my mom's house was upside down in the mortgage. Like, I didn't have to think about any of that if I was Miss Florida. So that's the attitude I showed up with at Miss Florida, and I was successful. So going to Miss America was another whirlwind because I had never even seen the pageant on television. I my mom is from the beach and she grew up like with surfer kids and we didn't wear makeup. I just didn't know anything. And so I had incredible preparation for the six months that I had to prepare. And I never want to take anything away from the sponsors and training and, and professors and so many people that helped pull together this package of Rachel Todd to show up at Miss America. But I truly had no idea what I was getting myself into. So having that experience and then walking away from Miss America, not victorious, but inside my head feeling like I could have been, I spent those seven, eight years studying. And the question I was asking myself was, okay, you had a year of being Miss Florida and you experienced this incredible transformation of, I now can walk into a room and I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. I can look at anybody in the eye, shake anybody's hand, whether it's the governor of Massachusetts and I'm there to talk to him about environmental issues with the Everglades Foundation in Florida, or I'm there to uh, meet with the CEO of the Coalition for the Homeless for the state of Florida and discuss options for moving forward on a plan to end homelessness, or whether I'm talking to a homeless person on the street. Like, it, I, was, I felt so incredibly powerful. And I thought to myself, I don't really, nothing else changed. I'm not any more beautiful. I'm not any more intelligent. I'm not any more any of those things. All that I was given was the opportunity to step into being Miss Florida, and I lived as that person for a year. So I think I rewired my brain. Like the thoughts of you're not worthy or you're not smart enough to talk to that person or you're not beautiful because Michael Lorenzana in in sixth grade told you you were the ugliest girl in school. Those thoughts were so few and far between, but I know that that year like helped me to change my brain. So I thought, well, how do I teach this to every other woman that I come into contact with? Whether she competes in pageants or not, there's got to be a way to make this into a curriculum. 
Because if every single woman, and now I say person, but if every single woman could truly, truly step into the, the power that she already possesses, that's when I can change the world. And so that's what I spent seven, eight years asking. And that's what led me on my educational journey that you read about in my bio. And then in 2017, I saw that you could still compete for Miss United States, but be 30 years old. And I was like, oh my gosh, that whole like secret vendetta of my own brain telling me that I didn't win Miss America, so I should go for another national title. That's really where it sparked. I was just, I thought, man, I really love competing. I love being up on stage. And if I could win a national title, I just think that that would put the icing on the cake. Well, I think your journey personifies what a lot of girls are chasing these days. Now, of course, in pageantry, you hear all the hot button cultural marketing buzz terms like, you know, confidently beautiful, empowered, brave, courageous, worthy, all these. And there's one that I think you personify very well, and that is courageous. Um, And I'm going to read the story of of why I believe that, and then we can kind of unpack it and talk about it. But Um, You had a very personal story that you shared on Instagram recently, um, and it basically reads this. I've lost more times than I have won, yet everyone only focuses on the victories. My dad walked out when I was 19, yet from the outside looking in, it's all been handed to me. At the age of 28 years old, I was in Tokyo for a modeling job and found out my boyfriend of four years had been seeing someone else for three of them. You want to sit on your story and wait for somebody else to rescue you, and the truth is, You are both the rescuer and the one who needs to be rescued. You can do this. You can change your own life. You can create a different future for yourself. And in fact, you are the only one who will. Now, that is painful to read because I, I, know the, I know the feeling of being cheated on. That's a, it's a pit of your stomach, ridiculous feeling that goes on for years. And I, you know, I can't imagine what it took to overcome that. But not only just to overcome that stuff, but to get up and say, you know what, I'm going to step up in front of the country. And I'm going to show them what it takes to be a powerful woman. How did you get through that and get to the point and the confidence to be able to get back up there? Oh, man. I you know. sort of teared up when you were reading that message. That was, <laughs> I hope I brought I've the right emotion to do it. that for me. Thank you. I think just sitting down has never been an option for me because I don't come from a lot. And if I don't make my own way, then I could just become complacent and then I'm a waste is what I feel, to be completely honest. And I only get to be here once. And I'm very vast, like very well aware that this life is so short. I mean, we're already halfway through 2019. And people always say like, Oh, my God, I can't believe it's June. And I'm like, I can look at the calendar days. They go (laughs) by stop waiting. And it just makes me so angry sometimes in such a great way, in a good way, because I'm like, I, I want to push people. I, I have a team of women now that I get to lead in, a, in another business of mine. And I, I get to push them because they're asking me to. And that feels so good. Like they're looking at me saying like, Rachel, when I complain to you or when I start to doubt myself, like I want you to remind me of why I started. And I'm like, yes, exactly. Like sometimes you do have to be reminded. And gosh, don't get me wrong. There have been nights like crying on the, the shower floor. And in Tokyo, I was in a hotel room by myself when I found that out. And I'll never forget the three hours there crying in my hotel room before my my model, my friend came and found me. And they said, we're not going to let this ruin your trip here. We're done with our work for the time that we're here. We're going to go explore and you're coming with us. And I remember walking through the streets and the the temples and we were putting in like prayer cards and we were meeting all these locals and I would, tears were just like welling up in my eyes and just streaming down my face, but I had a smile on my face. So it was the strangest mix of emotions I've never experienced because they just kept holding my hands and saying like, come on, we're going to have fun. Like, it's great. Like, look at this. And then they would hug me and I'd cry it out and then we keep going And I woke up that morning at 5 a.m. to go to the fish market. And I remember standing there watching these fishermen as they were loading the fish from the docks into the market and throwing the fish. And it was, I mean, it was a sight to see. And I thought to myself, how dare you sit here and let this keep you from moving forward? Because these people have this this job and this is the life that they've been handed. And you have a different set of circumstances. So don't waste one more minute on what just happened like you have a choice to dis to to totally unattach from what just happened you can you can be sad you can feel sad 
Um, but you don't get the right to sit there and wallow for years and years and allow that to be your excuse. That's called victim land. And the longer you live in victim land, the more you're going to waste your life. Well, you mentioned something there that really stuck out to me, and that is when you were in Tokyo and you were going through that experience, you had a group of friends, women, whatever you want to call it, that picked you up and basically dusted you off and said, let's get going. Um, in the pageant industry, I find that to be so very important because I think uh, we went through a period there where pageantry became very selfish. It was all about me winning, me getting the crown, me doing this, me being recognized. And now it's evolved back to this community of like-minded women who support each other, who pick each other up, and who, who defend each other um, when things such as what you went through happen. Um, have you found that to be the case uh, when you were Miss United States? Yes, of course. I mean, I was also a little bit nervous, honestly, because when you're switching systems, I, I don't know. I, there's still things that come up, no matter who you are. Sure. The internal thought of what is my Miss America family going to say about jumping over to Miss United States? Or are my Miss America sisters who I'm in a private Facebook group with going to cheer me on? Or are they just going to kind of like roll their eyes? What are they going to think? Why aren't they smeared? They're all married and have kids. Are they going to be like, what the heck is Rachel doing? You know, all of those thoughts come up. But in the end, what was, I mean, it was amazing. It was like uh, so many messages and texts and they were cheering for me. And um, just the pageant world overall was so excited. And like the, the boost of platform, I guess you could say, or the, the volume of the microphone having increased a little bit, holding a national title was just exactly what I imagined it was going to be. It was wonderful. There wasn't a negative side to it. Well, you've taken all of your adversity, all of your successes, your time in the pageant industry, and you've basically now turned it into a platform to help others. Um, your website's very clear on what you now do. It says, I help women in the corporate workplace create work-life balance so they can begin to love their life again. How do you go about doing that on a daily basis? Well, first of all, it starts with me. So I have to remain practicing the self-care habits that I preach and the balance and the meditation and the being that calm center for when they forget what that feels like. I need to be able to access that so that I can help them there. So it starts with me for sure. And I have to be very vigilant of not overbooking myself and not saying yes to everything. And um, we're all guilty of it. And so that's definitely a step. But working with them, um, a lot of times, and I've been reading a lot about this from one of my favorite um, teachers, Mastin Kip. Mastin has been playing with the idea of a new type of coaching where you're, you're not only talking about what your vision looks like for the future, but also talking about, let's discuss your past. It's okay to go there. It's okay to unpack it. It's okay to realize what you've learned from it. It's okay to allow that emotion that you suppressed prior to now move through you so that we can get past it. And letting go of that emotion doesn't mean it didn't happen. And for a lot of women, they hold on to that transgression that happened to them because that becomes their identity and they're worried about what their life will look like if they were to let go of it and forgive. And so it's a lot of times going back before we can move forward. But once we go back, we can identify all the ways that they've been coping that become negative habits. They've been coping with all of that, quote unquote. Stuff. So as soon as we can like lift the rug up and clear that stuff out, then we look at the coping mechanisms and we're able to say, okay, I was doing that because I was feeling this and now I don't feel that anymore. So I can actually make a mindful choice not to emotionally eat or not to emotionally um, shut down and, and lay in bed all weekend or whatever it is that they're doing to be, have a coping mechanism. Well, in addition to the, you know, I, I guess we'll call it coaching that you do and really, you know, kind of setting the example here, outside of pageantry and your professional life, you have become very successful. You're a very successful Arbon consultant. Um, I understand that you fell in love with their philosophy and products, uh, I think back in 2009, around the time you were Miss Florida. Um, mm -hmm. Now, for, for those of who are unfamiliar with uh, what we call the network marketing industry, can you kind of explain what it is and how you have managed to become so successful in it. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I mean, okay, so social media and us recommending things on social media is network marketing. It's, a, it's simply a social commerce is like what I like to refer to it as. So I, you can see people all over the place recommending. I did a little promotion last month in May with a company called Safe and Fair. Safe and Fair is a startup out of Chicago. They, you know, they follow the same ingredient policy that I follow in life, and that is no additives, no gluten, no sugar, 
et cetera. They're a wonderful company, but they make things like really clean granola, really clean pea protein chips, that type of thing. So by me simply having a discount code and recommending safe and fair and posting it on my social media, talking about it in conversation, safe and fair then sent me a percentage of the sales that used my discount code. That's network marketing. So to align yourself and for me to align myself with one particular brand, in this case, Arbonne, then by talking about the products, having people become aware of what they're putting in their bodies and on their skin and switching their brand, I'm getting a thank you check from Arbonne for talking about the products, for recommending the products, and then for teaching other people how to do the exact same thing with their network. And as I continue and consistently recommend have people switch and help others build their businesses, my paycheck goes up. So that's network marketing. That truly is all it is. And now with internet and social media and the acceptance of online shopping and the (laughs) online shopping uh, surpassing retail shopping, it's network marketing and having a business that provides an extra stream of income is a no-brainer. And I say to people, you know, if you don't have an online business, then you're going to miss the boat because right now everybody who has online businesses, I would say, is still considered early adopters. If you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, once the tipping point starts to happen, those that were early adopters are going to be the ones that benefit the most. And then, of course, you have the people who jump on board during the big wave, and then you have the people who hop on late. But they're in, in online commerce, this this tipping point, it's, it's not even, it hasn't even hit yet. So I like to say to people, like, if you haven't looked into having an online business yet, you really should, you should consider it, let go of your preconceived notions, because everybody's already doing it. You've probably tagged yourself at a restaurant on social media, and that was network marketing. You've probably said on a video or I know girls are listening saying like, oh, my God, I love this concealer from Sephora. Well, Sephora is not paying you to talk about it, and that brand's not paying you to talk about it, but you're doing network marketing for free. So by switching and aligning yourself with a company that's virtues, principles, and values you align with that you feel good talking about and then making a full-time income from it, it's literally a no-brainer. Well, you've made a, a very good income. And I just saw that recently uh, Arbonne awarded you, I believe, with a, a Mercedes SUV for you know how well you've done with the company. Talk about kind of the honor that you received and, and what it took to get there. Well, After Miss United States, I really had made a commitment to myself to back off of traveling so much for work. And I really pulled back on a lot of my modeling and folks modeling contracts. And in doing so, my income went down because I was both coaching and doing those modeling jobs. The modeling jobs I now see um, were so wonderful for meeting people, but I'm going to be 32 and I will be 32 next week. Uh, I just, I'm ready to have grounded roots. I have a mailbox now. I'm really excited about it. I put the trash <laughs> out, you know, on, on Wednesdays. It feels really good. Um, and to transition out of that nomadic lifestyle, I was thinking to myself, how do I now create a full-time income, but also give myself more time? Cause I'm working on a book and working on a podcast and all of these things. And so I was like, well, you've, been loving, like closet loving these products for 10 years. You used them as you got ready for Miss America. You just never really had the goal or the nerve to talk about it out loud for fear of people's judgments of you is what my self-talk. So in August, when I finished with Miss United States, that's part of the, the transition story was like, quit. You preach not to worry what people think, yet you're the one worried about what people think about you doing network marketing. And so I decided to align my health coaching business with Arbonne rather than fight it. And so it's been 10 months and I'm earned. So in Arbonne, when you um, promote to regional vice president, which is the third out of four, so the next point for me will be the top of Arbonne. When you promote there, you get a, they pay for your car. So I, actually had to go pick out the car and and do all of the paperwork, but they pay every month for me to drive the car. So it covers my payment. I don't like to mislead people. They don't, a lot of my friends were texting me saying like, did they deliver it to the driveway with a big bow on it? And I was like, well, not technically like it. I had to go out and get the car, but they paid for it. Yes. Yeah. It's not like the sweepstakes where they just actually show up at your door. 
Well, that's obviously kept you busy. And then you mentioned very quickly the podcast. I know it's not launched yet, but you're in the midst of kind of creating it. Can you tell everybody what uh, they can expect here in the future? Yes. So a new brand I'm coming out with is The Bombshell Bride. And I've always thought to myself, well, I love weddings. Like I really do. I've never been married or anything like that. But I love just the idea of that you're preparing for this big day and you want to be in a good headspace and you want to be calm on that day and you want to look your absolute best and feel so good on the inside as well as the outside. You want the flowers to be perfect and this is your big day. You only get one from those people. And I'm thinking, but I've seen the opposite in so many cases where they're stressed for a year leading up to it. And the day of, they're like an absolute nightmare because they're worried about things and how it's going to unfold. And they're not present at all. And then they throw the bouquet, they run out the door with their new husband, and they're thinking to themselves, like, how is that already over? We just blew how much money? I already, like, my feet hurt so bad. I feel disgusting. I'm bloated. I'm constipated. Like I'm mad at my husband because he didn't hold the flowers correctly in the picture. Like, and they're actually get back to the hotel room or wherever they're headed. And I hear from my friends even that they're just like irritable afterwards. And I'm like, this has got to change. Like the wedding industry is out of control. So the bombshell bride is about applying the principles that I learned as I prepared for Miss America and Miss United States to preparing for your big day. And the tagline is very much like, don't walk down the aisle strut and shine brighter than the ring on your hand and how to be present and get to the end of your wedding day and be at peace and so grateful for what just happened. Teaching them those principles that apply to competing at a national level to preparing for that big day. How to be present as you're walking down the aisle. Because you see so many brides, they get to the end of the beginning of the aisle and you see them just like the, the fear comes over them and they are just freaking out. So they go faster than they imagined they would. They forget to look at everybody and they're just, that's it. That was the moment. There it was and now it's gone. And so if I can teach them how to even be present as they walk down the aisle to soak that all up, um, that will be in the course. And of course, of nutrition, um, working out, getting your arms the way you want them to look in the dress, all of that stuff, you know, is part of it. But the podcast will be the bombshell bride as well. So discussing with my friends who have gone through it and what they wish they would have changed, as well as with vendors and what they're doing to help promote a more mindful experience for brides. Well, look, incredibly relevant and needed. Um, just being married myself, you know, it's this whole say yes to the dress culture where it's so much about the one day. And, you know, the divorce rate in the first five years has become ridiculous because I mm -hmm. think people, they, they're so worried about the, the day of and the honeymoon that they forget about what's really up ahead and what's required in order to have a successful marriage, which is never going to be easy for anybody, by the way. I don't care who you are. Um, there are right. challenges that go along with marriage no matter who you are. Um, so just knowing that you're kind of trying to set themselves set them up for that um, is gives me some peace. So thank you. I look forward to that. Yeah. When do you think you'll launch it? Um, approximation. I know you probably don't have a specific date yet. I would say launching the podcast this fall, winter, and then the course will be launched in 2020. All right. Very good. Well, cool. Well, I'll tell you what, mm -hmm. let's do our uh, rapid fire get to know Rachel Todd questions. What do you say? Okay. All right. You ready? Here we go. Number one, mm. which do you prefer, texting or talking? Talking. Why? Oh, I have to say why. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to. I just thought I, I'd just ask. <laughs> I, I think so much can get misinterpreted and lost in text, of course. And like punctuation makes a huge difference. But when we're talking with one another, we don't lose that art of communication, of eye contact, of smiling. Of, you can hear it even on somebody's voice on a phone or even through this podcast. You can hear the intonations of somebody's voice. And I think if we switch 100% to texting, you're going to lose that art. Absolutely. All right, number two, favorite day of the week? Mm, Monday. It's a clean slate. Um, I don't live for the weekend ever. I never have, and I'm so grateful for that. I've been self-employed since I came out of college, so I get to design my life, and I have time freedom, and I don't know who, like, if you set yourself up to dread a particular day, then you're setting yourself to, like, hate the whole day, and you're going to find everything wrong with it. 
So start off the day with like a dance party for the greatest showman soundtrack and you don't have that problem. Like you only get so many Mondays in life. So why are you going to be mad at them? All right, Monday it is. Number three, favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in, which I believe is Jacksonville, Florida. Nashville, Tennessee. I lived there for seven years. I, oh gosh, there's just so much happening in Nashville. I don't know that I would actually like living there now because it's become so crowded and so many people found out what a gem it is. But when I moved there in 2010, there was still dirt roads and you didn't pay for parking anywhere. And you could walk into a bar and hear Chris Stapleton singing tunes because nobody knew who he was. My brother's a musician up there and a songwriter and I lived with him. And I just got to witness this beautiful side of the world of songwriters and people sharing their hearts through music. And I just had the most amazing experiences and friendships. And there's just a positive energy in that city that you cannot deny when you're there. I have heard that many times. A very good Nashville. Uh, number four, nickname your parents used to call you if they had one. Ah, Missy Moo Moo. <laughs> <laughs> I think it started with Missy and I don't know. And then my dad just added Moo Moo and he loves adding little things. You know, my mom says, give me a kiss of Rumi. So I think they like add all sorts of endings to words. All right, number five, <laughs> last song you downloaded or listened to. This is me from The Greatest Showman. Oh, it's like, gosh, could that movie get any more inspiring and that story and the failures, the vulnerability. Like if you haven't seen that movie, you haven't listened to the soundtrack, do yourself a favor, sit down. I'm not, I haven't watched television in 10 years, but I've watched that movie probably four or five times because I just cry and I just think it's so beautiful. And look, I just did network marketing. Everyone's going to go watch The Greatest Showman. <laughs> That's right. You probably get paid for it. I actually know that song mm -hmm. way too well in the four states that I host. That was the opening number this past yeah. year. So I, I know it way too well. Oh, I can't even imagine how many girls are using it for talent, whether they're singing or dancing. It's just yeah. a beautiful song, but it can, I'm sure, get a little overplayed. <laughs> All right, number six. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Be able to speak every language in the world. I think, like I said from my first question, language and communication is so beautiful. And when I'm in other countries, I don't want them to speak to me in English. I keep asking them and pointing to things and repeating the words when they say them to me. I've learned how to get around pretty well in Spanish-speaking communities. And I've learned Anyangaseo, Kamsahamida from Korea and Arigato and Ohio and all these words from Japan. Like I just, because you see the emotion in people's faces and it's like, when you watch families in another country, it doesn't matter if you're speaking their language technically, you can understand what they're talking about or what they're laughing about. And that is so beautiful. Number seven, what's your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday is Memorial Day weekend, because I think it's just this time when we can reflect on the growth and the resiliency of our country, but also it's a long weekend where people really get a chance to unwind and relax. And there's not a lot of stress affiliated with that holiday. No like expectations for gifts and decor and do you have the best lights on the street? And I just find all of that nauseating. Number eight, how long does it take for <laughs> you to get ready? And I, this one varies widely. Oh my gosh my boyfriend would have a fit with this question. <laughs> I am so working on, I lie to myself about start time. So like yesterday I had a lash appointment and in my calendar it said 4.30. So I got there at 4.30. When I arrived, I remembered that it was at five. So I was early because I lied to myself about the start time. So that is definitely a failure of myself in life. But to answer your question, being like, you know, semi-retired out of pageantry, I can be ready in five minutes because I've let my hair go, like no extensions, and I just let it dry, I don't color it, um, and I've taken pretty good care of my skin, so I really am an advocate of less makeup look. Um, so yeah, it can vary from five minutes, but if I'm going to like his work Christmas party and I'm like, well, I'm going to just show up as Miss United States, the crown, then I'd like to take my time, like an hour and a half. 
<laughs> wow, five minutes to an hour and a half, quite a varying bit. But five minutes is probably the best I've ever heard. I think 10 was the previous best, so I'll take five minutes. All right, number nine, scale of one to 10, how good of a driver is Rachel Todd in her new Mercedes? A nine. I've never been in an accident. I've been rear-ended, though. And I like to think I'm the driver that, like, I just want to get to where I'm going, so I'm slightly aggressive, but I'm, I think I'm well aware. I'm well aware of what's happening on the road, and I was taught quite well by my parents. Like, you know, if anybody's listening and you don't know that the left lane on the highway is for going faster and you just put on cruise control in that lane, please move over because I'm tired of waving at you. Because here comes Rachel. <laughs> Rachel's coming. coming big time. But my mom would tell you that I'm terrifying. She hates red. All right, last one. Fill in the blank with one word. Rachel Todd is what? Mm, oh, gosh. I know. This one really makes you think about yourself. Mission hyphen driven. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You kind of like just, just snuck it all in there. Perfect. Uh, vulnerable. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, I appreciate the humility in that answer. All right, that's the 10 questions. You are off the hook. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, hey, look, we got into some really good stuff today, some deep stuff, some challenging stuff, and uh, just how you present yourself and how you have taken what you have experienced and turned it into something positive is pretty incredible to watch and listen to. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing, and I hope that we continue to stay connected and uh help other women do the same thing that you're doing. Thank you so much for your mind. Like you're really well thought out mindful questions. I know you've been doing this for a long time in life as a career and that's why you're so successful at it. But just the way that you, you positioned the questions and you're just an incredible person. So I'm really happy to know you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode and to Rachel Todd for her time. Now, if you'd like to follow Rachel's journey on social media, you can do so on Instagram at the Rachel Todd. Todd is with two D's, by the way. And go to her website, racheltodd.com. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, and YouTube. Or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Talk to you next week, everybody.